This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, fellow explorers, to Awareness Explorers. I'm your co-host, Jonathan Robinson, and I'm with my co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. And we are going to be discussing, exploring, dissecting, and, and trying to figure out the connection between identity and motivation. And we explored this a little bit right before this episode today, Brian, you know, discussing different elements of identity and motivation. And when we talk about a topic like this, what goes through your brain? Well, it's funny because when we first talked about possibly using this as a topic, my gut reaction was was a kind of a black and white view, is like a knee-jerk black and white view. Wait a minute. Identity can't have anything to do with motivation because if what we're trying to do is get in touch with our true nature as happiness, then any motivation at all will simply veil that. But during the conversation with you, I think that you sort of gently coaxed me into a little less of a black and white view. And I think who knows how I'm going to feel today about it, though. I, I can be very seductive that way. Hopefully, I will <laughs> seduce you further into seeing an interesting connection and how they interplay. For uh, our listeners who weren't privy to that conversation, you know, we were talking about how in order to become more awake, doing various practices requires motivation. Or, you know, you don't do the practices. But if you create intense motivation, like I'm going to become enlightened, I'm going to do this practice, I'm going to meditate. Well, that just reinforces the ego. So the more intense your motivation in a certain way, the less you are moving towards your intended target. And that's a catch 22. And we're talking about how do you get around that, you know, because if you do nothing, yeah, you might become enlightened, but it might take 5,000 lifetimes or who knows what would happen. But the tendency for the ego to get in the way, the identity of an ego to be motivated to try to achieve something is actually hurting you in a certain way. So then that brings up the question, well, how do you stay motivated or what is a good motivation for doing practices? And that's where uh, we had a lot of interesting thoughts about that. So, you know, when you think of what motivated you to get out of depression and, and seek your true nature, what can you say about that? Well, like many people who become spiritual seekers of one form or another, just as you say, I wanted to get out of depression, pain is a very good motivator. And it's really quite common. If you are miserable, if you are unhappy, if you are filled with anxiety, fear, doubt, you don't want to feel that way anymore. You want to feel better. You want to. You want simply to be happy. I believe that all people want to be happy, and most people choose poor ways of, of achieving that. So I think you do need something to help you begin. First of all, you have to try a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't work, but you have to be, you have to be 
sharp enough to see that they don't work, that getting happiness by trying to manipulate experience is actually not working. But you do not working well, or not working well, um, not making you necessarily more happy. In other words, if your idea that I can change the world to my satisfaction, and that's going to make me happy. If you're smart, you're going to discover that that doesn't actually make you happy. So I think you need to start somewhere. But what you once you get started, you eventually see that effort also doesn't help. And gradually, little by little, you start to drop effort. But obviously, no zero effort, meaning, oh, well, what if I just sit on the couch and watch TV? Um, is that going to do it? And clearly, that doesn't do it either. And so I have a I call it the least amount of effort required to keep your attention on awareness itself and to identify with that background in which all things appear. Mm -hmm. The less effort you take to do that, the better, but it might take practice to drop the effort. Yeah. You know, you brought up the interesting point that pain gets people motivated at first. And I that was true for me as well. But after a while, it works well enough that you're not that motivated by pain anymore. So it's a that's another catch 22. Like now the mo the thing that got me motivated to meditate and do these practices, I'm not in pain much anymore. So then I became less motivated. And I think it's interesting to explore different motivations for different parts of the journey, and that different motivations might be better than other motivations. You know, um, at first, pain is a good motivator. And then when there's not that much pain, then you kind of have to find a new motivation to keep doing these practices. And one of those motivations could be, for me, it was, I wanted to be better than other people which I would not, uh, for those with that personality tendency out there, I would not recommend it highly. <laughs> I went through a period of being pretty arrogant and pretty difficult to be around, you know, thinking like, oh, I'm a spiritual seeker and these people aren't. And though it was motivating for me to sometimes do some difficult things, and it sounds like you probably did not fall into that particular trap. You know, I may have under the surface and hit it well. You know, I didn't have the situation where, you know, I was difficult to be around. At least nobody told me that that I was. But I think under the surface for a while there, I did think, oh, I'm on the spiritual path now. And isn't that wonderful of me? And uh, and that sort of had to go away eventually itself. But the thing about motivation, I mean, you're right. If you talk, if you if you use that example, I want to be better than other people. Yes, there are motivations that are much better than that. <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll give you that. That, that, that okay. there's a degree, there's a degree. Some motivations are pretty bad, and some motivations, like I want to, I want to know my true nature, or I want 
to be happy. But the thing is, it's motivation to do what? I mean, you started this out by saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm not so miserable anymore. So what are you motivated to do? So what's the problem? Mm -hmm. You know, well, I, mean, I, 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 I want to keep on on the spiritual path, keep on making what could be called progress. And but why why do you want to be on the spiritual path? Well, that's where motivation gets to to play a part. And and I have to ask myself now why, because I'm not in pain like I used to be. And I've seen that my motivation has had to shift. Um, so let's talk about some of these higher motivations. Uh, one of them, as you mentioned, is I want to know my true nature. Another related to that might be I'm interested in knowing the truth, you know, not being so mired in illusion. And I think that's been a very big motivator for some advanced seekers for a long time. Like they actually, even if it makes me feel bad for a while and does not make me happy, I want to know the truth of my existence, the truth of, of my shadow, the truth of what's going on here on planet Earth. What do you think? Well, it just reminds me of the the why, the endless why and the bottom line happiness um, progression. Why do you want to know the truth? What would knowing the truth get you? I mean, my 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 what, what I'm theorizing is that all motivation is simply the desire to be happy. Why would you want to know the truth? What would it give you? How would you feel differently? Um, yeah, I mean, you could say that everything is for our desire for pleasure or to avoid pain. No, I'm not talking about pleasure and avoiding pain. Uh, well, I, I don't define happiness as, as pleasure or the avoidance of pain. Right. Uh, it'd be better to say we're desired to be happy or avoid pain in some way. But um, I think there's an element of just wanting to know truth that kind of transcends a personalness. And the problem with a lot of motivations is they become very personal, and personal rhymes with ego, and ego rhymes with trouble. So... <laughs> Um, you should I, write a song about this and put it in a musical. <laughs> oh, that would be a great idea. <laughs> it probably just reinforced my ego, though. So um, I think that as you get into less personal motivations, like the desire for truth or desire, desire to serve humanity, as long as it's not coming from an arrogant place, like you see that we're in a race between consciousness and catastrophe. And with the background we have, we might be in a better place to be of service. That can be a motivation that I feel in a non-egotistical way sometimes that I think is helpful. Now your rebuttal? <laughs> well, why? Yeah, it's... I think we fool ourselves when we say that these are non-egotistical. I mean, no, it's not that we, it's not, it depends on how you define egotistical. If you mean egotistical, meaning self-centered, and my only interest is my own um, uh, uh, desires being fulfilled, and I don't care about anything else, then yeah, you don't, you don't want to be 
to be egotistical. But even if what you want to do is help others and solve the problems of the world, the, you, the reason that you want to do that is because if you do that, you will feel better. I mean, most mm -hmm. people, you know, and this is this is probably a philosophical argument and maybe not even helpful. Um, it's it's you know it's the old ancient argument: is there such a thing as as altruism? And um, we can probably leave that for another time. Well, you are right that every motivation has an element of ego in it. You know, lower ego, higher ego. Um, but what I'm putting forth is that there tends to be a progression on the spiritual path of of what I would call increasingly better, higher, and maybe lighter motivations, and that if you can connect with those higher motivations, it's it's helpful. Like when I realized that. I might be able to help other people by writing a book that talks about my experiences with all these different teachers. That felt lighter or broader or deeper than I should write a book and I hope it becomes a bestseller so I can make some money. Mm -hmm. And somehow we do have to stay motivated and I see that a lot of people progress on the spiritual path by doing a four-step process. There's like a, a four-step dance. They, they're in pain, so they take up a spiritual search to get out of that pain, become happier. And at some point, they, they might be very, very sincere and, and be very, very focused but they notice that they hit a wall and then they feel like they have failed. And then in that failure, they give up, they surrender. And in the experience of surrender, they take a leap forward spiritually. And I've heard that from so many teachers that it makes me realize that there is kind of a progression that often happens on the spiritual path in terms of motivation. Well, if that's what you're talking about, when you talk about a progression, I think it's beautiful. And you're right, I've seen it, I've experienced it, I've heard people talk about it. The first person who talked about that was Adyashanti. He said that he utterly failed at meditation. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, I've always thought that the aim of meditation is to show you is, is to fail. In other words, to realize that your efforts are not what is going to bring about what you desire, which is peace and happiness and joy and love and oneness. And when you, but you have to, you have to, you have to try, you have to be convinced that it's not going to work by trying and failing. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be curious what, Ajashanti would say now motivates him to do what he does, because he's obviously a highly awake person, but he still does retreats, writes books. You know, what is your motivation when you have really, in a way, succeeded? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it it could just simply be 
a matter of following your nature. In other words, even, even if even if you realize that your identity as a separate person is not your real self and the real you mm -hmm. is say let's just say universal consciousness and the mm -hmm. individual personality appears in that it doesn't mean there isn't an individual personality it doesn't mean there aren't talents it doesn't mean there aren't faults there does it doesn't mean there's not an easy path of least resistance and a difficult struggling path. And so it may just be perhaps that it's in his nature to teach by nature. He, you know, he's really good at talking and he's really good at at, at, at explaining this stuff. And it feels good to him to do it. And it feels good when other people receive it and get it. So actually feeling good. <laughs> In that sense, even, you know, is probably why he continues to do it. Or, on the other hand, there's a very good possibility that he might tell you, I really don't know. It's not my choice. The doing this simply happens. And, mm -hmm. I, I, and so those are two possibilities. I bet the second one, I bet it's a combination. I'm not sure. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not going to pretend that I know the answer. Well, here's another possibility that as you raise your consciousness, you realize we're just one being. And, you know, why does the hand help the foot? Because it realizes it's it's part of the same body. You know, it, I think that that's, well, I don't know what you call that motivation. You're in a certain way serving your bigger self which you could say is in a certain way selfish you know that he is serving his body mm -hmm. his body just happens to involve eight billion people <laughs> that's right well it's like compassion Com you know compassion comes naturally when we see ourselves as all connected uh, mm -hmm. you know at the root we're all one one being and that the beingness looking out my eyes is the same as looking out all the other eight billion eyes Compassion is a byproduct of that, and not necessarily a, a goal or a motivation, uh, but something that does arise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and his or Ajashanti in this case, we're using as an example, is simply aligning with his dharma, you could call it, or his gifts, and that you could say is a motivation that you and I are able to tap into. I feel like we do that in this podcast, mm -hmm. that we're not motivated by money. Uh, but thank you, Patreon supporters. Call <laughs> <laughs> uh, out to you. Uh, but we are aligning with what feels like an inner calling. And it's hard to identify that as a motivation. We don't even really have words for it, but I do feel it a lot. You know, I'm writing a book now about MDMA therapy, and it feels like a inner calling. And I don't know what do you what do you call that? And there are upsides and downsides to every type of motivation, but 
I do think that some motivations are kind of of a finer quality and cause less trouble. Yeah, I suppose you're right. And I, I do agree that when we're basically following our inner calling, in other words, what just simply feels right and less constricted, less um, the, the, there's fewer sort of walls and barriers there that 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 things tend to work out a little more smoothly. But what are some of the you talk about the progression? I mean, let's let's assume theoretic that the, the theory that there 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 is a degree of different types of motivations and some are more helpful than others. What what would that progression look like? Well, I think uh, the first one would be getting out of pain. Another one could be, it might even be a progression at some point that trying to be better than other people is a, is a motivation for one part of the path. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully you don't get stuck there. Um, and then there's the motivation of, of getting high, which is different than getting out of pain. Mm -hmm. There's a motivation of wanting to know truth, like wanting to really know what's going on here. And, and that can be helpful for especially looking at your shadow, because mm -hmm. that's an unpleasant thing. But if you're motivated by truth, then that's part of the curriculum. And then there's a motivation of service or motivation of, of being aligned with your dharma, being aligned with what you're here to do, like your sense of purpose. And then there might be even just a motivation of being with what is. You know, starts to get into a very nebulous motivation. But when I've talked to some very enlightened people, they kind of say, well, I just, I'm just here to be with this moment. And that's my motivation. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, that that's, that's very subtle, because at some point, you kind of have to let go of these more coarse motivations, so that you can merge with your true nature of awareness. Yes, and I like that progression a lot. And I like the fact that you pointed out that the that it progresses towards more nebulous, like being with what being with what is, is a lighter, more nebulous, but in the end, I think more fruitful motivation. Mm -hmm. And the other motivation is to be like a, a servant of love. You know, Jesus seemed to say that that was that would be a good motivation. And I agree that since our true nature is love, that if you can come from a loving place as your motivation, then you are likely to have more success than if you're coming from a more ego-based motivation. Yes, that's right. Um, being a servant of, of love, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, expressing love in all aspects of your life is is a great motivation. Yeah, I agree with you. But when we started this conversation, we talked about the connection between motivation and identity. So I, I, I'm going to say, okay, I agree with you. Some motivations are lighter, better, work 
you know, than others. There may be a progression and we may have to start with the coarser ones. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want this pain anymore, or I want to become enlightened so that I can say I am an enlightened being. So maybe, you know, let's not say that's bad. Let's say maybe you have to start with that. But yeah. gradually, you have to let go and let go and let go. And being a servant of love, for example, is letting you're you're not it's not your will that's being done in that motivation so that there's mm -hmm. less of an identity caught up in in Eunice. yeah yeah exactly but what did you mean when you talked about um the connection between motivation and identity well in a certain way i see them as as opposite sides of a, the same coin so if your motivation is, you know, I'm in pain on, and I'm trying to get out of it, then that's who you are. You're a person who's in pain trying to get out of pain. That's your story. That's your motivation. And if your, your motivation is, uh, I'm trying to be a servant of love, then that's your identity. I am a servant of love. I'm a servant of God or whatever you might look at it as. That's an identity as well. And of course, we're trying to get to finer and finer identities until we're just presence. There is no actual ongoing identity. Um, but it's hard to, you know, jump into the ocean from 40 miles inland. And it's hard to jump into no identity from I am uh, the, the president of the United States, you know, it, it, the, some identities come with a lot of baggage and some come with very little baggage. You're right. And and I like that progression. And as a matter of fact, um, I use that basic idea of a kind of progression like that uh, in my guided meditation, which we'll, which we'll uh, hear later. But I think the key is that if there is a progression of identity, it is not necessarily a progression to better identities. It's a progression to less identity, which you said, so that if my idea is I'm going to be the witness, this is a great step. You need to you need to ask yourself, what does what is the, what is witnessing all experience? And you identify as the witness. But even that is a concept that appears in something that cannot be named, that cannot be described in words. And I think the goal is to identify with that which cannot be described whatsoever in rules, and maybe just simply be that knowingly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well said. And just to put asterisks on this entire conversation, so that we don't identify like we actually know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm reminded of a story Ramdas once said to me, uh, where, and it, and in the story it points out that we might think in terms of uh, progression and and it goes in these finer identities and motivations, but you know the reality, grace, God can do whatever it wants, and. Uh, According to Ramdas, this is a true story. Uh, many hundreds of years ago, there was a 
serial killer who was bent on killing monks in China. And he'd go and behead the monks. And when monks would hear that he was coming to their area, they would all scatter. Well, he went into this one monastery, and there was one monk sitting in the middle of the monastery. And the guy goes up to the monk and says, you know, in a, in a threatening voice, don't you know who I am? I could take my sword and run it through your belly without batting an eye. And the monk looks at him and says, well, don't you know who I am? I could have your sword run through my belly without batting an eye. And evidently that so impacted this guy that he surrendered to the monk and became an enlightened being. <laughs> so, so much for our progression. Uh, and the moral of that story is not to become a serial killer. Uh, it's to figure out a way to surrender it all in little and big ways, because any identity that we have eventually has to be let go of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, any identity that we have is basically going to come down to a concept, at least any identity that we could put into words. The, the spiritual process is basically a... Uh, a dying process. Yes, it's while a, alive. Yeah, right? it's a you, dropping away. Dropping away of who you think you are. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, the weird thing is that that people get the idea that something has to disappear that's here, like the body or the personality or whatever. And mm -hmm. it it is not that at all. Nothing has to go away. Nothing has to disappear. As a matter of fact, absolutely nothing has to change. The except, except for your identification with a imagined being yes. who you think you are. Yes, exactly. Nothing, absolutely nothing has to change except your shift in identity from something that can be described or conceptualized that has borders, that has limitations that has shape, that has any qualities at all, to that in which everything appears, out of which everything is made, from which nothing is excluded, and cannot be described or put into words in any way. Sounds like a fun game. I think we should call it Planet Earth. <laughs> And and you know, hopefully these discussions where we look in terms of getting under the hood into identity and motivation and techniques and all kinds of metaphors like radios and all these things help to awaken you and I and uh, the people who listen to us to remember what's really going on, what's important because there's a lot of different channels going on nowadays, and we need all the help we can get. Speaking of help, I believe you have a guided meditation around the idea of identity, and I'm looking forward to hearing what that is like. Sure, let's dive right in, shall we? Sure. Okay, here we go. First, as always, find any comfortable position Close your eyes if it's safe to do so. 
Take a nice, easy, deep breath and relax. Let's talk about identity. Who are you? What's the first thought that comes to your mind? Whatever you came up with, if it was in words, was the result of what can be called the narrator. The narrator is not actually a thing or an identity or an entity within you. Instead, it's more like an activity. So let's not call it the narrator. Let's just call it the inner narration. Anything you think you are is simply the activity of the narration. So ask yourself, who would you be without your narration? Who are you if you don't have an inner narration going on? Who are you if you don't think about yourself at all? Who are you if you don't listen to a single thought about anything? What is it that listens to the narration? What is it in which thoughts appear? can't be another thought, for what would that appear in? Whatever it is, notice that it's still there, even if you don't name it. Whatever it is, notice that it doesn't go away when you don't think about it. Now, let's start again and approach your identity, who or what you really are, from another angle. Let's follow along this imaginary progression of possible answers when you ask yourself, who am I? I'm my name. Insert your name here. In what does that name appear? I'm my gender, and insert your gender identity of choice here. In what does that thought appear? I'm my job, insert your profession. In what does that thought appear? I'm a father, a mother, son, daughter, brother sister, aunt, uncle, friend. In what does that thought appear? I'm a person who likes blank and doesn't like blank. In what does that thought appear? 
I'm someone who pursues happiness. In what does that thought appear? I'm someone pursuing peace. In what does that thought appear? I'm a seeker of spiritual awakening. In what does that thought appear? I'm the witness. In what does the witness appear? I'm my consciousness. In what does your consciousness appear? I'm universal consciousness. In what does universal consciousness appear? I'm the universe. In what does the universe appear? I'm love. In what does love appear? I'm emptiness. In what does emptiness appear? I'm pure beingness. In what does pure beingness appear? I'm nothingness. In what does nothingness appear? I'm nothing. And what does nothing appear? I'm, um, Don't stop here. Throughout the days to come, over and over again, notice any identity that you can conceive of and ask, in what does this appear? You ask this question over and over again for any concept of yourself, any identity of yourself, any idea of who or what you are, until you are faced with a sense that you are, but that what you are is indefinable, unnameable, inconceivable, without borders, and without a center. Now, take another nice, easy, deep breath, and at your own pace, begin to open your eyes. Thank you. Welcome back. Thank you. I use that technique. It's one of my favorite. And what does this appear? And I like techniques that can be done really quickly. And so I just say, in what? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, you want not just an intellectual answer, you want 
for it to point you to an experiential answer. Exactly. And that's what any spiritual question is for. It's not actually to come up with a conceptual or intellectual answer. It's a trigger to get you to turn your attention to that which knows experience yeah. and, and be that, as we've been talking about. That's what we're trying to do. But I had one other thought about motivation before we leave. And you're talking about very quickly just saying in what reminded me of it. And sometimes I don't worry so much about motivating myself to do a practice. You know, I really don't worry about that because I have much less of an idea that there's some state I'm, I don't have that I'm going to get to in the future. But that doesn't mean there aren't moments throughout the day when I'm going to feel a resistance to what's going on, or I'm going to feel a so-called negative or unwanted emotion. And instead of motivation, I think it's simply getting into the habit of whenever you notice any kind of emotion that you might not want or any kind of resistance to what is, ask that simple question in what mm -hmm. yeah it makes it really simple and and the motivation is built into the moment yeah because it, instead of this idea that i'm going to be motivated to achieve this thing i don't have it's moment by moment oh something arises i feel an inner resistance huh let go and ask what does that appear in because what it appears in is totally okay with the fact that it appears. And so if you just simply step back and identify with that, you'll be automatically identified with that, which is totally okay with everything and doesn't have borders, barriers, resistance, and uh, tension. And, uh, and you get in touch with the peace that you are. And nothing is more important than that. And I think you said that well, Brian. And if you want extra bits of our wisdom and other teachers' wisdom, go to patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. But that was uh, uh, definitely a, a great meditation for knowing our true nature, shifting our identity, whatever that might be at any given moment, into something much more free. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Fun again, Brian. Always great to see you and great to have our listeners uh, there. Feel free to email us, tell us your comments, tell your friends if you like the podcast. And most important, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.